Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 15. We're focusing on God today. Our text is all of the chapter of Revelation chapter 15, which begins, I saw another sign, a Simeon in heaven, great and marvelous. Actually, there are three times in the book of Revelation that there is a sign that appears. I saw another sign, great and marvelous. Before we look at this chapter, let me encourage you to understand a very important key element of Revelation. Most of us, when we read a book, we want to read it in sequence. The Hebrew mind doesn't write or think that way. It doesn't write in sequence. This is why you, some of you said to me, well, why does John keep writing the same thing over and over again? It's very important that you understand this. We get confused in Revelation because we, we think when we read it, it should all be in sequence. But in typical Hebrew fashion, there is a cycle of judgment and then another cycle, and those cycles of judgment repeat themselves in new and different ways. But they're the same events leading to the same conclusion, but also with different and fresh details that were not formally told. So you have the, 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 the scroll open, and then the seals, and the trumpets, and the three woes, and the third woe opens into the seven bowls, and then the coming of Christ in the clouds of glory. And you say, well, why does he say the same thing? It's a cycle. He keeps saying the same thing, but each time in different ways and with new details and different aspects of the second coming and of judgment. So all of Revelation is telling about the same thing, but it's a cycle of judgment leading up to the coming of Christ, told in the form of seals and trumpets and then bowls, and finally Christ comes and everything is over. We're starting Pastor's Pals today, today and I want to recognize all those pastor's pals. That I'll tell you what, I'm having a challenge making revelation in the language of a four, fourth grader. But we're going to try it. I hope you got your notes. And if some of you who never made it to the fourth grade would like, you can all, always pick up pastor's pals outline notes back there, and you can take the same notes that they take. But here's the, here's the key sentence, pastor's pals. Revelation tells the same story leading to the same ending, which is the second coming of Christ, in many different ways. Can you understand that? That's very important. Divine retribution is revealed by the seals, announced by the trumpets, and executed by the bulls, said commentator Robert Mounts. An excellent statement. But we've got to remember that the, these, all these movements are cycles leading to judgment. They tell the same story, taking you to the same conclusion, but each time giving you slightly different events. Now, if you understand that, that will never again frustrate you with reading the book of Revelation. Now, how can I illustrate that? Okay, let's just, let's say that, um, uh, that Alan Brown and Dr. Thompson and Robert Watson and I are going to go to a soda shop and we're going to have a big chocolate ice cream soda. You like ice cream sodas? Robert, Alan, do you? 
Jim, do you like that? Okay. And uh, we are going to have uh, grilled cheese and tomato sandwiches with bacon. Uh, Robert, do you like those? Uh, Alan, you like those? Jim, you like those? Okay. And so we're going to sit down, and uh, if you hear me tell it, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I drove a white car, and I had to go through a lot of traffic, and boy, I, I nearly turned back because I didn't want to go. But I finally made it to get my chocolate sundae, or my, no, it's a soda, chocolate soda and my grilled cheese, and it was worth it finally. But when I was driving there, I didn't think it was worth it. And that's my view of the story. And Robert comes along and he says, well, listen, I was on my way there and I got a call. Somebody had made a mistake in his income tax last year and needed to file a new amended form. And I almost went back to the office and had more work to do. But, uh, and, and I almost went back and took care of that. But I decided I'd do that later because I love chocolate uh, sodas and I love uh, grilled cheeses so much I was going on. And that's his story. Same conclusion, right? Conclusion is what? Chocolate soda and grilled cheese sandwich. Okay. And then Alan says, look, I was on my way to the soda shop and he said they called me and somebody on one of the Reynolds construction projects had made a mistake and they put a nine foot beam where they should have only a one foot beam and something had to be done right then. And uh, about the same time, the bank called and said that Linda had bought a brand new dress and had overdrawn the account and I needed to come quickly and take care of that. Uh, did that happen, Linda? Did, did not happen. Okay. And so he had his challenges in getting there, and they're different from Robert's, and Robert's are different from mine. And then Dr. Thompson, he starts out, and they, as he's on his way, he's going through the traffic, and the hospital calls him and says, oh, but you've got to come back. Uh, we've, we've got 9,458 admissions for only 38 places to the med school next year. And what are we going to do? You've got to do something, and we've got to make a decision now. You better come back. And he's got a challenge. His challenge is a little different from mine, but he decides, hang all those medical students. I'll take care of them when I get back. And he wants that chocolate soda and that grilled cheese sandwich so bad. We all have the same conclusion, but everybody's story has fresh details about how we got there. The conclusion is Jesus is coming back. It's not up for debate. Amen? Christ is going to put an end to history. But how we get there is told in different ways in the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and the plagues of judgment. Now, please grasp that because we're on the last cycle as we plow our way through the book of Revelation. But every event is to encourage God's people in John's day. He was writing to people in his day who were under the oppression of Rome. And every event in here, they interpreted in light of their, the oppression of Rome. And each event is to encourage God's people in John's day. And each event is to reveal something about God. Every event in the book of Revelation is to reveal something about God because the events which God controls and to which God responds always reveal God's character. That's fundamental in the Word of God. You can see that in Abraham's life. I can see it in my wife's life. I can see it in your life. You can see it in my life. Now listen to this principle. 
and never ever forget this, young people. Circumstances always reveal character. Circumstances always reveal character. Circumstances always reveal character. So don't focus on the actions, but focus on the character of the person involved in the actions. The question is, what is God doing and what is God unfolding to us about his character? Lou Holtz tells a story of a, when he was coaching at Minnesota. And he said that he had one day, three years ago, a right guard who wasn't carrying his weight on the team. And he finally called that guard off the field and said, stand over here on the sidelines. I want to know, do you care about this team? And the boy said, well, I don't know whether it makes any difference to me whether we win or whether we don't win. He said, you're out of the game. Stand on the sideline. But he didn't send anybody back in. The next play, there's an end, makes a little step, and comes in and tears down the quarterback. And and the coaches all started running up to him and said, aren't you going to put somebody in in his place? We'll get devastated with nobody playing right guard. He said, we haven't had anybody playing right guard. What difference does it make? He hasn't been in the game. So it doesn't make any difference. And after three plays, when that guy standing on the sideline saw what happened with nobody at least filling the space in that spot, he said, Coach, that makes me mad. Now, I think I care about this team. I care about what happens to the quarterback. I care about what happens to the backs. Let me back in. And now Coach Holt said he's ready to play. And he sent him back in the game. He said, you know, when I was at Minnesota, we never lost another game that season. It was, I think, of the last year. Maybe, I don't know. I forget now whether it's Notre Dame or Minnesota when he, where, where he was at. But it was three years ago. He said, we never lost another game all year because that guy was the missing link. He cared. And he was important. And the situation, the circumstance revealed whether that player, that boy, had character or not. There are four things in this chapter then that tell us about God. First, saints on a sea of glass mixed with fire. Look at this. In verse 2 he says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, You know, I think there are four times in the book of Revelation where the harps of God come up. I love a harp, don't you? I love to hear those harps. It just flows. We had that man, Greg uh, Buchanan, Buchanan, and that was a tremendous presentation on the harps, but that's what we're going to have in glory when we're worshiping God. Now, these are saints on a sea of glass mixed with fire. Now, the truth here is God is a caring God. God is a compassionate God. Now, I want you to go back here, Revelation chapter 4. Turn back to Revelation 4, verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were the four living creatures, the cherubim, 
But look in verse 4. Around the throne and before the sea of glass like crystal were the 24 thrones and on the thrones 24 elders representing the church and Israel. In chapter 4, the body of Christ is raptured out of the world and is around the throne of God and the sea of glass is crystal only. Now in chapter 15, these are tribulation saints, folks who were faithful during the tribulation and never yielded to worship the image of the beast. But here, the sea of glass is mingled with fire, representing judgment. Oh, they've passed through the judgment on the earth during the tribulation. They've had a terrible persecution. They had a terrible temptation to, work, to worship the image of the beast and the mark of the beast. They had a terrible temptation, but they came through and the sea of crystal mingled with fire reminds us that God brought them through judgment and God always knows how to bring his people through judgment. We have our own judgment and our own suffering in this day. Peter says it's a calling for Christians. If you're going to be united with Jesus in the death of the cross, you're also united with Jesus in the suffering of the cross. That is why Paul's, Paul says, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Don't ever look at suffering and adversity as an obstacle. It's God's opportunity to do something special in your life and show you how much he cares. Sometimes the way we see a problem is the problem. If you see adversity as an obstacle, as a difficulty, then how is God going to use that to turn good in your life, in character good? But if you see it as an opportunity for God to reveal his character to you, you know what's important about the difficulties I face is not just what is revealed about me to you, but what is revealed to me about God. What have I learned about God in this? Biologists talk about the adversity principle. I've read more about this in the last few years than ever before. No species has an advantage when that species has habitual well-being. Constant well-being is never an advantage to anyone. Now, I know there are times I'd love to have an opportunity at that. You take the birds who are always fed by people, pretty soon they learn not how to hunt. They don't know any longer. Adversity is always God's challenge to reveal himself to us. So I might look in you when you have adversity and see your character revealed, but all I've learned is something about you. But when I look at, at adversity and see God's character revealed, I've learned something about God that helps me the next time I face adversity. You know, I, I spent some time just sitting back and thinking this week, what would it be like if I had all the money I could ever use? What would I do with it if I had it? You know, I'm not sure I know what I'd do with that stuff. Any of you? I, I know you say, I'd like to have two days to try. Would you like two days to try? <laughs> yeah, Sylvia would. Save David's bills, wouldn't it, Sylvia? Uh, but what if you never had another sickness on this earth? 
and you never had another problem, and you never had another disagreement, and you never had another misunderstanding, and you never had another challenge. You lived in a perfect Pollyanna world where everything was provided. I got news for you in this body. You and I are not ready for that yet. God will get us ready when we live in his presence, but we're not ready for that yet. And so God reveals something about himself. Saints on a sea of glass mixed with fire and the fire represents the judgment God was pouring out on the earth and the suffering they went through in order to pay the price not to worship the image they passed through the adversity principle. A recent poll was taken among Christians and 87% of a sampling of national Christians said they made their most significant decisions during a very painful event in their lives. Second thing that is shown here is the song of winners. Verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant, and the song of the Lamb. And what was the song? Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Now, this event tells us about God, that he is righteous. God is righteous. Notice he is called the Almighty again. And notice he is to be feared by all nations in verse 4. And he will be feared by all the nations because his righteous acts have been fully manifested. That's why they should worship him. Look at verse 4. All nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments, your righteous judgments, the word is, have been clearly demonstrated in what you did. Now, this is called the song of winners. It's the song of victors. The song just does not celebrate the deliverance of Israel during Moses' song in Exodus 15, nor does it just celebrate the the victory, the deliverance of the tribulation, saints out of the tribulation. It celebrates the rightness of God, the righteousness of almighty, all-powerful God. It talks about God. And that's what this song is really all about. Interesting, isn't it? The first song in the Bible, Brother Larry, is the song of deliverance, the song of Moses in Exodus 15, when Israel has been delivered out of Egypt. And the last song in the Bible is in Revelation 15. This is the last song. And it is the song of the deliverance of Christ of his saints through the tribulation period, revealing that God is righteous. The truth here is that there's far more said in this song about the righteousness of God than just about his deliverance. You know, if, if somebody is healed of a disease, we focus on the healing. If somebody is delivered from a bad job and given a new job, we, we uh, focus on the act. But folks, the focus of Moses in the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb was not on the act, but on the character, nature of God, the God who did this. You're a righteous God. You are a holy God. You did this and you have manifested or demonstrated what kind of God you are. 
far more important than the event or the circumstance is the nature of the God behind the circumstance. What kind of a person is a better question to ask than why did he do that to me? What kind of a person am I dealing with? What is God like? Job was dealing with Eliphaz and Bildad for all those chapters until chapter 38 and God said, sit down and hush and listen to me. I've got something to say to you. And what God focused on was not telling him what all he'd done for him, but the acts of creation which revealed the character of God. This is the God you're dealing with. Who's going to come and give me counsel, he says to Job. Who will give me counsel? You know, most of my life I spent trying to figure out why people did this or why people did that. I thought that was better than just getting angry at them for doing it. I thought I'd made a real spiritual growth leap when I could learn to ask why. What's the motivation behind? And I think the motivation is important. But I want to tell you there's another step of spiritual maturity you want to come to. And that is learn to say, oh God, teach me about character by what that person did. And when God does something in your life, oh Lord, teach me about yourself. Help me to know something about you. I want to know your ways, Moses said. Show me your ways. Well, I want to know your ways, God. I want to know your character. I want to know what you're like. And so we have the the great song of the Lamb and the song of Moses, a song of deliverance, talking about the character of God. You know, it's, uh, it's reminding me of what is said in verse 1, link verse 1 with verses 3 and 4. When he said, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, he's talking about the marvels of God. It was a marvel when God delivered Israel out of Egypt and the death angel passed over those houses that had been stained with blood. Wasn't that a marvel of grace? It was a marvel of judgment when the, when the Egyptian armies passed through the water and the seas covered them over. The seas which had been walled for Israel to pass through covered over and drowned the Pharaoh. It was a marvel of God's judgment. It was a marvel of God's guidance when he sent them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide Israel. It was a marvel of his goodness when they got hungry and he sent them manna like hoary frost on the ground. And it was a marvel of God's condescension when the glory of God came down and filled that tabernacle in the wilderness so that nobody could even stand around near it. And it was a marvel of God's faithfulness that he kept his covenant with them even when they disobeyed him and refused to believe him. That was a marvel. And it's a marvel that God delivered his saints of the tribulation period through that time. Maybe the greatest marvel is what God's done in you. I think it's a marvel that God forgave us. I think it's a marvel that God cleansed you and gave you another chance. I think it was a marvelous thing when you were in a factory and God spoke to you. It was a marvelous thing when you were in the fifth grade and somebody invited you to Bible school and you were saved. I think it's a marvelous thing that God provided a job for you. It's a marvelous thing that God gave you a wife and children and a family or a husband and children. Listen, we've got the marvels of God all around us. Let us sing the song, our God is righteous. And because he is righteous, then everything God does is right. That's why it's important to focus on the character of God. 
If I focus only on the event, then I get impatient when God doesn't do what I want him to do. But when I focus on the character of God and the nature of God, then I can wait because I know God is righteous and his acts reveal his character. There's a third thing here in this chapter. Seven angels are sent from the tabernacle in heaven. Seven angels are sent from the tabernacle in heaven. Now, here is a, in, in verse 1 of chapter 15, there's a little bit of a, of a preview. Seven angels having the seven last plagues are the sign. And those plagues have in them the wrath of God. And in them the wrath of God, now watch this, is teleos. It means completed or perfected or finished. And it is exactly the same word that is used in James when James says, let patience have her perfecting, completing, finishing work. Teleos. God will fill up judgment and fill up wrath and fill up his condemnation of the world. Now, this event tells us that God is an awesome God. The holiness of God in the book of Revelation is not so much about his sinlessness as it is about his awesomeness. He is awesome and unapproachable by his creatures except through Christ. But God is an awesome God. So verse 5 says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having seven plagues, and they're clothed in priestly garments, pure bright linen, chests girded with golden bands. And the four cherubim who serve and, uh, the, the God of heaven around the throne, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Judgment always comes from the presence of God and not from man. Always comes from the presence of God. And the four cherubim are intermediaries. There in verse 7, between the angels assigned to dump out the bowls of wrath and the earth, the angels hand the bowls, the assignment, of the, the bowls of judgment, uh, the, the cherubim hand to the seven angels. But notice this, that the seven angels come from the tabernacle in heaven and from the very presence of Almighty God. Now, it's indicated in verse 8 with smoke. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter. Now, smoke is always a symbol of the awesome presence of God. When Moses was on Sinai and God was giving the law, what covered the mountain? Do you remember? They said smoke billowed up to shroud the awesome majesty of a holy God on whom human eye could not fix itself. You know, sometimes I think 
we treat God like a little servant boy? We need to be reminded, folks, if it weren't for Jesus, you would not have the privilege of praying directly to God. If it weren't for Jesus, I'd be wearing a priestly garment and not a suit from Belk's sail rack. And I would be standing down here, and for you to pray, you'd have to come down and confess your sins to me. You know how long I'd have to stand here to hear all your sins? I can tell by looking at you, you've had a bad hair week. And uh, it would take forever. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that? Can you imagine all the pastoral staff lined up from there to there, and you coming down every Sunday, we spend our whole time on Sunday. You talk about a long sermon. You hadn't seen anything yet if all of you had to come forward and confess your sins to another priest. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that? I can kneel down by my bed. I can sit in a pew. I can be driving a car when I'm aware of my sin and confess, but the smoke symbolizes that you and I cannot come into the presence of God unless somebody had paved the way and made it possible for us to come into his presence. And there on Mount Sinai, smoke shrouded that mountain. And when Isaiah in chapter 6 went into the temple of God and, and the angel was going to take a live coal with a tongue from off the altar and touch his lips and cleanse his lips, do you remember what filled the, the Lord's house? The smoke billowed up and filled the Lord's house, symbolizing, oh, Isaiah, you're standing in the awesome presence of a majestic God. And here it is again, smoke fills the heavenly tabernacle because judgment can only come from the awesome presence of God. Now, I want to set the pace for something. Turn back to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 12 and 13. Well, I'll start with verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering on the day of atonement. Even the priest had to make sacrifice. Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Now watch. He shall take, in verse 12, a censer full of burning uh, coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and take it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord. And when that incense burned, representing the prayers of God's people for forgiveness, the cloud of incense would come up from the burning incense and would cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony. Now underline the last three words. Only the high priest could go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. And if he didn't do that, what would happen to him? Look at that. Lest he die, even the priest would die. Oh, I was praying this week, thinking about this, and I thought, my goodness. I take prayer so lightly with the Father. And I think that's rightly so. Pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. Pray 
you know, be ready to pray in season and out of season. But oh, do you understand? Can you possibly understand how awesome, majestic, can I possibly grasp how unapproachable God is in his holiness except that I've been made righteous in Jesus Christ? Don't ever take prayer lightly. For the incense burned, and when it burned, and I want you to remember what I read now in Leviticus because that's applicable to the next, to the next and last event in this, in this chapter. But when the incense burned, the cloud came up, hiding the presence of God even from the high priest on that one day of atonement when he went in there to make sacrifice for sin. There's a last thing in this chapter, and that is the seven bowls of judgment. So here they are. Verse 7, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden fiale. It means a saucer, a combination bowl saucer, a saucer with enough lip to hold incense or to hold something. It was a bowl, but not a big cereal bowl. It was a smaller bowl, the same bowl that is used in Revelation 5. We'll see in a moment. It is the kind of bowl my granddad, when he'd slop his coffee outside, would pick up the cup and guess what he would do? Do I need to tell you what he did? And grandma would say, granddad, don't do that before the grandchildren. They'll get bad habits. And do you know? She was right, because every time I see coffee in a saucer like that, guess what I want to do? <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you. Some children might not know what you do when you see that saucer filled. But that's a fiale. That's what the word is. Now turn back to Revelation chapter 5 and watch where this came up earlier. Do you remember when the four and twenty elders representing Israel and the church were, were, were uh, mentioned around the throne? Verse 8 of chapter 5. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a what? A harp, an instrument of worship, and golden fiale full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I made my point in that chapter that even after Christ has come and we're gone to glory, there are still prayers being answered. The bowls of incense are still before the Father. I find that terribly comforting and terribly encouraging. But wait a minute. These are golden bowls. And where in chapter 5 they're, full of, they're, they're representing prayers, they're full of incense. In chapter 15 they represent judgment. Uh, don't anybody miss this. There is a very fearful law of God which says that grace rejected turns in to condemnation. The prayers of saints offered in golden bowls on behalf of family members and world leaders and God intervened in response to that intercession and they rejected God's grace 
there is a connection between the golden bowls of prayers, which represent the work of God rejected, and the golden bowls of, in, of, uh, of judgment, which are now going to be poured out. Somehow there is a fearful law of God at work here. Same fiale, rejected grace becomes judgment. And it reminds us that the greater the revelation, the greater the judgment. The greater the grace God gives you, the greater is his judgment when you reject his grace. Unto whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. And it works all the way down to the end of the time. And this, these seven bowls of judgment tell us that God is just. And he's just because the things we prayed for, and you say, God didn't answer my prayer. Oh, you have no idea. God answered, but the people rejected his grace. Will you say, does God leave it at that? No, God doesn't leave it at that. Because in the end time, when the angels are commissioned by the four cherubim to take out the seven bowls of judgment and dump it on the earth. They're the same bowls that contain the prayers of the saints. And when I prayed for John Smith and he refused and rejected Christ, God now sends judgment, takes those prayers, the grace offered to him, and pours it out on earth. You know, that's what makes it very important that you find out what God is doing in your life and move with him. If God's giving you grace, don't miss it. If God's giving you an opportunity, don't miss it. If God's giving you a chance to be saved, don't miss it. If God's giving you an opportunity to grow, don't miss it. If God's touched your marriage and given you another chance, don't abuse it. Don't take advantage of it. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Don't reject it. Or it will come back to you in greater judgment. And just as blessing is multiplied when it comes from God, I can give God ten bucks and get back a thousand. Amen? I've seen it happen. I want to tell you, when you give God your prayers on behalf of somebody and it's rejected, that judgment is multiplied by God when it's poured out on the earth. Now hold your hand here and let me remind you of a, a concomitant truth in Matthew chapter 11. Look at this very carefully. You must understand this. Matthew eleven twenty, Jesus began to upbraid the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And he said, Woe to you, Chorazin, verse 21. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Zidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. I did great and marvelous signs. I gave you an opportunity, Chorazin. I gave you an opportunity, Bethsaida. If I'd done the same things in Tyre and Sidon I'd done in you, they would have repented long ago. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. The cities that had received mighty works and mighty opportunities to repent and did not repent faced greater judgment. There are degrees of judgment, you know. There are degrees of punishment. I believe there are degrees of punishment in hell. And I think the basis for that is this passage and passages like this. The prayers of the saints in the, in the golden bowls have been turned to judgment. And once God touched them, the judgment was far greater, far greater. And Jesus said, 
boy, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. And Capernaum, if Sodom and Gomorrah had had a chance to see what you saw, they would have repented. It will be more tolerable for them because they didn't reject the grace that you rejected. I don't know whether you understand that. That's awesome. That is flat awesome. Every time God gives me another opportunity of grace and I reject it, whatever it is, the more money you've got and you don't use it for God, man, I'd be scared to death to meet Jesus. How you use your time, how you use your talent. So he's getting ready to wind it up. The wrath of God is going to be finished. And when the bowls are poured out, the bowls of grace and the intercessory prayers of God's people have been transformed into bowls of judgment and condemnation on Christ rejectors of all time. If you've never been saved, I would hurry to the cross as fast as I could. If I were you. If you've got something that you have not given back to God, I'd get rid of it to God as fast as I could before that time comes. Because it's a basic principle. It, it's in every age. Unto whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. Let's stand in prayer. Speak to each of us, dear Lord, and work your work in us and draw us to thy holy self in Jesus' name. Amen.